running to everyone sharing all your issues and the real issues and I don't want to minimize issues but you're not going to the one person who can really fix your problems you're running around and everyone you're trying to get someone to just agree with what you think instead of going to Jesus and saying Lord what do you think and know what the Lord is going to say to you my child I am not finished with you yet I am trying to do a work in your life right now so just trust me People go to all kinds of places to find happiness or to find fulfillment. But when you're down and out, the last place many people think to look is Jesus. You don't think he'll give you the answer you want or that you think you need. But today, Pastor Daniel expresses that you need to look to Jesus for hope in the struggle. You should want to turn to him for the answers that you're still waiting on. He'll comfort you in the trials. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 18 as he begins his message, Tying Up Loose Ends. All right, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 18. Joshua chapter 18, as we continue this homestead series here in the book of Joshua, as we see the children of Israel settling into the land that God had promised to them. Now, I don't know about you all, but, you know, one of the things that's the hardest for me in my life is to make sure I tie up all the loose ends. Like, I'm the person who's great for getting 95% of the job done. I'll do all 95% of it with all the energy that I can come up with. But when it comes down to the last 5%, I become like a little slippery fish. You know what I mean? Like, that's just who I am. It's like, I'm all in for 95%. But that last 5% of it, when you got to tie up those loose ends, I'm kind of like, I don't really feel like doing it. Am I the only one who's like that? No, all of you guys are follow-through people. Praise God for you. God's working on me. You know, it's just funny that way where it's like, you could be like, I'll get the 95% done like no one's business, but just finishing the job all the way. It's always hard. I have to force myself to do it. And I realize that that's an area of growth in my life because God is the kind of person who sees the job all the way to the end. You know, it's just who he is. It's how he works. It's that he knows that the job is not finished until it's finished. But what's interesting is we see all through the scriptures, and we definitely have been seeing it in this Homestead series, how there's parts of this job that is left to be done, and the children of Israel are not being 100% all in on finishing the job. And we are always reminded that what we read in the scriptures are for our admonition, which means we see these accounts of the people of God in previous generations And our job is to learn from it and say, how do these things apply to my life? And as we see what's going on here, because really where we are in this, out of the 12 tribes, five of them have been allotted land. But there's still seven tribes that don't have their inheritance in hand yet. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see Joshua making sure to tie in all of the 12 tribes with their land allotment. But you could imagine how easy it would be to be like, oh, it's fine, right? Just like, we're here. We've gotten this far. We've done enough. 
And I think it's one of those things that I'm constantly reminded in my life that God wants us to go that extra mile. Now, you know, it, the idea of going the second mile, obviously Jesus said it, but it was, it was part of the Roman culture and they called it impressment. So when the Romans had control over any area, they could ask any subjugated race within their empire that the military folks could give their gear to someone and they had to carry it for a certain amount of time legally by law. If they didn't, they'd get arrested. It was the laws of impressment. So when Jesus says, when they want you to go with them one mile, go with them two. Jesus is saying, if the Roman soldiers ask you to carry their gear, don't just go as much as you're supposed to. Just keep going. Why? Because nobody would do that. Like, why would you want to give them extra? But Jesus is saying, I want you to be unique and I want you to be different. And so as I was studying this text and, and having some fun breaking it open and, and being challenged by the text, there's some areas in the scriptures that like, I've never heard a pastor like choose to preach Joshua 18 and 19. Like it's just, you know, if you're like picking a text to preach on, it's not like the most exciting text in some ways. But I'm reminded of the fact that what God wants to do is he wants us to be get it done and then some kind of people. God doesn't want us to do the job partway. I was thinking about this in regards to marriage. You know, there's so much emphasis that we put in our culture on getting married in the wedding day. But really, that's just the starting line, right? It's like, great, so you got married. Now, are you going to put in the same amount of energy and the same amount of passion into having a godly marriage as you did into scoring that husband or wife and getting a ring on their finger and having a beautiful wedding day. You know, it's so easy to put all the energy in up top, but then once marriage comes, you're like, yeah, well, just, yeah, can I just have the clicker, please? Let's not talk about it. Let's just watch another rerun of CSI Portland. You know, something about CSI Portland. What's up with that? Anyway, <laughs> God wants us to go all the way. He doesn't want us to pull up 90% of the way or 95. He wants us to be engaged all the way to the end. So we pick up here in Joshua 18 and it says this. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel, verse one, assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel, seven tribes, which has not yet received their inheritance. Verse three, then Joshua said to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land with the Lord your God of your fathers have given you? Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them, and they will rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts, and bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. Verse 7, but the Levites have no part among you for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to them. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went 
passed through the land and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities, and they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. Now, you see what goes on is we've already seen the Two and a half tribes settled on the east side. We've seen, we spent a lot of time looking at Judah in the south and then Ephraim and western Manasseh, the second half of the tribe of Manasseh in the northern lands. But you remember that after this was done, the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph, right? Because Ephraim and Manasseh were his two sons. They complained about their lack of allotment. And what's interesting is now Joshua as the leader, he's given the two and a half tribes that Moses had already allotted on the east side, and then you have the main tribes, but now there's conflict arising, right? And so what does Joshua do? Joshua's a smart leader. It says the whole congregation of the children of Israel, verse one, assembled at Shiloh. So they moved about 20 miles from Gilgal where they were, and notice what it says, and he set up the tabernacle of meeting there, And the land was subdued before them, and there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. So as conflict is beginning, Joshua as a good leader says, we're going to go to Shiloh, and we're going to set up the tabernacle of meeting, and we're going to do a little worship. Now, don't miss the wisdom of that. What's your issue today? You should bring your issues to worship. And I'm not saying you should worship your issues. That's what our culture does. Our culture gives a lot of weight and gravity to the issues that we see. But really, when you are struggling, you need to worship your way through the struggle. You need to make much of the Lord in the midst of the struggles. That's what worship means. It literally means the worthiness of God or the weightiness of God. Really, the word worship is worthship. You're declaring the worth of God in the midst of your struggles. See, what our culture does is our culture says, is your struggles are yours. They're big. Focus on your struggles. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. You know what? I was thinking about this. You know how there's all these memes that are online? I love all these memes. They always make me giggle, you know, because I think I have a good sense of humor. So when I see something funny, I always think, you know, I was just thinking about this when I was driving in today. I was thinking about we could have this meme where it's like me focused and like make the most horrendous face you can think of. So it's like you're like total like grumpy face, me focused. And then the next side of it is Jesus focused. And now make your happiest face. You know, like that's pretty much how it goes in life. Isn't it true? When you're focused on the Lord and what he's done, you have great joy. You have joy unspeakable. But when you're focused on yourself, there's just so many things to be grumpy about, right? There's never enough of what you want. There's always these problems. Woe is me. Woe is this. Woe is that. I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm not as skinny as I used to be. Even though wine gets better with age, I don't, you know. And you have all these ideas that are swirling around that are real thoughts. But the thing is, is that when you're focused on yourself, you're going to be grumpy, And how often of our lives do we have our joy sucked out of our lives because we're self-focused? But when we're Jesus-focused, when we're declaring the worth of God in the greatness of his majesty, all of our struggles take their proper perspective. In the greatness of all that the Lord is, our struggles are small. If God could create and sustain everything and all of it, all of creation declares his glory and his praise, then in the midst of our struggles, we could say, you know what, Lord, I can praise you because I know 
that I'm fearfully, wonderfully made. I can praise you because I know that all things work together for good. Lord, I know, even though I don't like this situation, that you're going to bear fruit in my life. And that fruit is for your glory. And other people are going to be blessed by the change in my life because of what you're doing. And so, Lord, I don't like this at all. But while this is here, right on. And so what needs to happen is what we see here. There's starting to be conflict. And Joshua's like, let's go to the tabernacle meeting. We need to meet with the Lord. And I think there's some of us who are hearing this right now. You're busy running to everyone, sharing all your issues. And they're real issues. And I don't want to minimize issues. But you're not going to the one person who can really fix your problems. You're running around and everyone, you're trying to get someone to just agree with what you think instead of going to Jesus and saying, Lord, what do you think? And you know what the Lord is going to say to you? My child, I am not finished with you yet. I am trying to do a work in your life right now. So just trust me. And don't be sad and don't be angry. Trust me because I'm not finished yet. You're just seeing one page in one chapter of a story that I'm writing in your life. And Joshua's smart. He's a good, you can imagine someone being like, oh man, we have all this work to do. Joshua's taking everyone to worship. We got more important things to do. No. He brings them to Shiloh where they're going to set up that tabernacle of meeting, that mobile worship tent. And the people are going to gather there and not neglecting at all that the fact that seven tribes haven't gotten their inheritance yet. But notice why these tribes don't have their inheritance yet. Look what it says. Joshua says, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers have given you? See, what's going on here is that there is a fatiguing in the hearts of the other seven tribes. And you can imagine, if you can put yourself in the situation that they're in, they left Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're in the promised land, and they've had almost a decade of war. And you can imagine them being like, I'm tired. You know, and remember we keep saying, we hear the stories in Joshua of the big battles, but as the land was given, then they were responsible for the rest of the battles to secure that land. And so there is a apathy or there's a fatiguing of the children of Israel right now and they're getting tired and they don't want to continue. They're exhausted from the struggle. And so Joshua says, listen, I got a plan. He says, pick out from among you three men for each tribe and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me. So one of the things that I love about what Joshua does is Joshua's a good leader because he's a man of action. And you notice here that in verse four, we get all of these verbs about what these guys are supposed to do, right? It says to them, first pick three from each tribe. So 21 people total. And he says, and I will send them, they shall rise. And don't miss that. The key to Dealing with your exhaustion is to rise up, right? It's rise up. And he's like, and I'm going to send them and you're going to go through the land and you're going to survey it according to your inheritance. And then I want you to come back to me. And then he says, and they will, they'll divide it into seven parts. And then I'm going to cast lots before the Lord to make sure that this is right. So of the remaining land, they're going to go out and the people are going to be involved in it. And there is a lot of wisdom in this because 
Joshua just had this whole ordeal with people being like, you didn't give me enough land. So he's like, well, why don't you, we'll send 21 of you out, three from each tribe, and then you're going to come back with a proposal of how we're going to do the land. And then I'm going to seek the Lord to see if this is God's heart. And what he's doing here is he's giving everybody the opportunity to have a say in it, but he's not saying we're going to do whatever you want. Now, and I'll be super honest with you, this is the greatest challenge within the Christian faith, I believe, is that we live in a day and age where everyone wants their say, but very rarely do contemporary people want Jesus to have the ultimate say. One of the things that I've learned is that God always answers our prayers. The only problem is a lot of times God says no, and we don't like that. Like, we're like, why doesn't God answer my prayer? No, he did. He just said no. You said, God, will you do this thing? And God said, no. And we're like, you know, we're all like Tweety Bird on the back of the, of the, of the cars with the, you know, the Tweety Bird thing with your hands on your hips, furred brow, like, come on, Lord. I asked for that thing and it's a good thing. And why didn't you give it to me, Lord? See, God always answers prayer. Sometimes he just says no, right? And what's going on here is Joshua is not leading by committee. He's saying, look, You all go out. We'll bring three people from each tribe. So everyone has representation from different perspectives. And we'll bring it all together. And then we'll see what God wants to do. And the idea of, of course, casting lots. No doubt the high priest was involved in the Urim and the Thummim. All these pieces that we've studied as we've gone throughout it. But then he reminds them in verse 7. The Levites have no part among you. For the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. So the Levites... As the priest, God is their inheritance. And they're going to get the Levitical cities. And we're going to see that in a couple of chapters. And he says, and Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they already received their inheritance. And so in verse 8, what we learn is that the men arose and they went. And Joshua charged him, go survey the land. Go and walk through the land. Survey and come back to me. And we're going to figure out what the Lord wants. And so sure enough, Joshua cast lots for them at Shiloh. Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. Now, what you have going on is for the rest of chapter 18, we get the allotment for the tribe of Benjamin. And then literally in chapter 19, we get the other six allotments. So once again, if you notice, if you've been traveling on this journey with us, that Judah went first and we got a lot of information. And then Ephraim and Manasseh went as the northern tribes, the sons of Joseph. They got a lot of information. Now, Benjamin gets less information. And then everybody in chapter 19 gets less and less and less information. Now, part of that is, of course, is the Lord knows the whole story. And I've told you in the past, but I want to make sure I don't neglect it here, that by the time we get to the division of the 10 tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south. So really you have a series of judges that are going to happen after Joshua. And then you have the prophet Samuel. And then you have King Saul, King David, and then King Solomon. And then with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and then Jeroboam, you get the split in the kingdom. Almost right away, all you really know about is Judah and Israel or Judah and Ephraim. The two largest tribes end up taking up all of the identity of the people. And so when that all goes on, it's almost like this text inspired by the spirit is laid out in such a way that takes this into account. Because you have Judah in the south and Benjamin, they were the two southern tribes. But almost right after the division, all you think about it is Judah. Benjamin gets subsumed into Judah. All of the northern tribes 
all of them get subsumed into Ephraim or the descendants of Joseph. So you almost completely lose identity very, very quickly with their, their tribal heads. So with that being said, let's look at the inheritance of the land of Benjamin. In verse 11, it says, Now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families. And the territories of their lots came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Their border on the north side began at the Jordan, and their border went up the side of Jericho on the north and went up through the mountains westward, and it ended at the wilderness of Beth-Avon. The border went over there toward Luz, and on the side of Luz, which is Bethel, southward, and the border descended to Atroth Adar, near the hill that lies on the south side of Lower beth And the border extended around the west side to the south from the hills that lie before beth southward. And it ended at Kirjath Baal, which is Kirjath Jerim, a city of the children of Judah. This was on the west side. The south side began in at the end of Kirjath Jerim, and the border extended on the west and went out to the springs of water of Nephtah. Then the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies before the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is in the valley of Rephaim on the north, descended to the valley of Hinnom, to the side of the Jebusite city on the south, and descended to En-Rogel. And it went around from the north, went to En-Shemesh, and extended toward Gilathoth, which is before the ascent of Adumim, and descended to the stone of Boan, the son of Reuben. Then it passed along towards the north side of Arabah and went down to Arabah, and the border passed along the north side of Beth Hagla, and the border ended at the north bay at the Salt Sea, at the south end of the Jordan, which was the southern boundary. The Jordan was its border on the east side. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin according to its boundaries all around according to their families. And then in verse 21 to 28, you get the list of all the cities. Now the cities of the tribe of the children of Benjamin according to their families were Jericho, Beth Hogla, Emekaziz, Beth Arabah, Zemarim, Bethel, Avim, Parah, Oprah, Sephor Hamoani, Afni and Gaba, 12 cities with their villages, Gibi and Rama, Beroth, Mizpah, Chephara, Moza, Rechem, Irpil, Teralah, Zela, Elef, and Jebus, which is Jerusalem, Gibeah and Kirjath, 14 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin, according to their families. Oh, praise God. You guys are kind. No, it's moments like that that you're like, I'm just so grateful I'm not Fusco preaching Joshua right now. So a couple of comments about all of this. Jesus is real. Wasn't that an interesting thing to hear Pastor Daniel say? That you can worship God even in the struggle? That may be the last thing you want to do, but it's the first thing you should do. May today's message be a good reminder to you when you're facing various circumstances to turn to God and remember what he's already done. That way, you can look ahead with hope for what he's going to do in the future. 
everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore His people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will get into what this new homeland was going to be like for the nation of Israel. They were finally going to have a place to call home. Isn't it comforting to have a place that you can call home? A place that you come to at the end of the day and cast your cares aside for a while? Each tribe would have this type of place to call home, and it was a place that God had promised all along. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Homestead. Until then, may God bless.